Hi, everyone. Hey, y'all. Stay patient. Show up. Show up. Show, 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 show up. Hello, welcome to our second episode of Stay Patient, Show Up. My name is Sarah Keaton, and I wanted to start off and share some of my my identities. And I didn't, I didn't do this last time, but I'm going to explain a little bit about why I start off that way. I use they, them pronouns. I am black, queer, poly, trans, gender fluid, fat, and neurodivergent. I'm also college educated and I'm the oldest sibling. I start out with positionality because I think it's important to understand the identities that shape my worldview and the experiences that I have and what identities I feel comfortable calling home. While I share in these identities, it's also important to note that we folks who also share similar identities to me don't necessarily have the same experience. We might be able to, we might have similar experiences. We might have similar worldviews, but we all navigate the world differently in the bodies that we have based on how we choose to identify ourselves and how other people identify us. But the identities that I named being black and queer and poly are central to who I am and how I choose to move through the world. I'm so excited to welcome Madison with us today. Hello, Madison. Hello, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm really excited to to be here and chat with you. Yes, I always love our conversations and I'm so excited for everyone else to get to hear them as well. I know. (laughs) (laughs) And a little nervous because who knows where we're going to go, right? (laughs) Maybe we think we have this like amazing spark, all this energy, these great conversations. People are going to be like, no, like... (laughs) No, there's no way. <laughs> People are going to be like, give me more. <laughs> yeah. So who are you, Madison? Yeah. So just to start out with that positionality, like Sarah did, I'm Madison Hansen. I use she, her, and hers pronouns. I'm a white cisgender woman. I also identify as queer, fat, and disabled and neurodivergent. And like Sarah, I'm also college educated and the oldest sibling. Those are two that I don't often think about, but they matter a lot. And I think especially being college educated definitely impacts how I move through the world. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I, I wanted to be really mindful because I tend not to name my identities of privilege because I have so many marginalized identities and I'm like, nope, you still got to name your identities of privilege. And it's definitely a privilege to have a college education. And I tend to forget how few people do have a college education. Thanks for sharing about your positionality as well. I thought we would start off by talking about Hook's definition of love and how it resonated Mm -hmm. with you. For folks who maybe didn't get to listen to the first episode, this podcast is all about love and our self-love journey and how we love others and how we love ourselves. Hook's is how I have found the most grounding way to define love. To start off with Bell Hook's definition of love as the will to extend one's self for the purpose of nurturing one's own or another's spiritual growth. How does that definition resonate with you? I think what resonates most with me about that definition is that love is very intentional and that it's very actionable and very purposeful. 
I grew up feeling like or saw in mainstream media that love is just sort of this things that happens, just like pops up and exists, but you really have to cultivate it. That's what really resonates with me. And I think especially as a queer person thinking about love, knowing that it is intentional and beautiful and exciting, but something that we really do have to cultivate. Um, that's what resonates the most with me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, thank you. I don't think we think about how intentional love has to be and how much of a practice it is. I love that you said the word cultivate. That's a great segue into why I wanted to have this conversation with you. I invited Madison for this conversation because Madison and I always just have the best conversations and Madison's (laughs) a beautiful human and inspires me every day and shows me how to love myself more intentionally. I thought we could come, come talk about how we love ourselves and our bodies, because I know it's been a long, a lifelong practice for me. And I'm sure you could, that resonates with you. I was curious if you would be willing to share your story of, of loving your body, like how you've cultivated a practice of, of body love. I'm really excited to be here for this particular topic because I especially when I was in grad school, was super involved in fat positivity and fat studies. I wrote about it academically even and published a paper on it. I feel like I've been falling behind a little bit. Like just to be fully honest, I feel like my love for my body is not where it was a couple of years ago. That's okay, right? I still definitely feel like excited to have this conversation, but I also know I need to enter it being honest about like, I do want to get back to where I was before, but even though I'm not, that's totally fine. I think that kind of shows that there are definitely ups and downs in terms of one's relationship with our own bodies. In terms of kind of my history, my relationship with my body and coming to love it, I was definitely always like a chubby kid, always the fat one in the class, always the tall one too. So I was just, I was just big. I started to notice that really early on, right? I noticed that when I was in probably first or second grade that I was just bigger than everyone else. There were definitely some, I remember kids making like comments about that, pointing out that I was bigger than them. And at first didn't really bother me, but then definitely those kinds of conversations started getting more value laden, especially as I watched other women interact with their own bodies. As an example, the women in my family are very hard on themselves about their bodies. I think a lot of women in our culture are brought up to be that way, to be very hypercritical, to be kind of their own, like if we think about Foucault and the Panopticon, right, like where prisoners in that circular prison surveil themselves because there's just one guard, that's what women are brought up to do in our society. And I think men to a certain extent too, but I think especially women Mm -hmm. are taught like you have to monitor yourself very closely. You have to be hypercritical of your body. You have to make it show up in certain ways, very particular ways. And I watched the women in my family kind of do that and made me realize like maybe I need to be doing that too. So there definitely was a shift. I went from being the fat kid who would take off all my clothes in my grandma's backyard and jump in the pool to suddenly going to school and like tugging on my clothes, being very like concerned that I looked different, trying to hide my boobs, trying to hide my hips, um, trying to hide my stomach, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until I got to college that I sort of started to learn a little bit more about what it does mean to love one's own body. 
honestly, I attribute most of that to like Tumblr. That Tumblr is the place where I learned a lot about social justice and about that. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because when I started college, I was actually much smaller than I am now, about like eight dress sizes smaller than I am now. So I was much smaller, but hated my body. And now I'm much bigger and I love my body. I think Tumblr and the early days of Instagram were really helpful for me in terms of just seeing other people and other women, especially who kind of looked like me and who were celebrating what they looked like. And it just kind of gave me permission to do the same thing and really made me reflect on this idea of like, why am I wasting time and energy? I have this one body, so I might as well be fulfilled in it and by it. And I don't think any body is perfect, but I also think my body is perfect for me. It does what I need it to do. It brings me pleasure. And I, yeah, I'm at a place right now where um, not every day is a good day with my relationship with my body, but overall I love my body and I think it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I ended up here. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for sharing. A lot of your story resonates with, with my own. I think similarly, I was larger growing up chubby, but again, like looking back, it's like, no, I wasn't that much like. I wasn't that, like, you know, as big as I thought I was at the time. And even if I was, that's perfectly okay. I was reading Adrian Marie Brown's book about pleasure activism today. And she was speaking to a lot of that, of just like all the messages we get as women from society of how our bodies are supposed to be and what they're supposed to look like. And that we're not supposed to enjoy our bodies. I was chubby, I was brown, and I was really short. And I didn't have a good quote unquote body. And I remember when layering was really in and I would wear three camis to try to make myself look smaller. I wanted to be white and I wanted to be thin. I don't know. I don't, I, I'm trying to, I don't know if I explicitly got any, I don't necessarily remember being particularly made fun of or anything for Mm -hmm. the size of my body, but it was more of what I, it was the absence. It was what I wasn't getting. It wasn't what I was getting. It was not getting asked to homecoming or not not having crushes with boys or not being able to shop in the same stores as my friends when we went to the mall. It was those little things that really made me feel bad about my body. And honestly, I've I've had a really I've I've hated my size and my body, I would say until after college. In college I had a better relationship with my body and I think I I kind of was just like, well I'm fat, but I still I still definitely did dieting off and on and was just like, well, this is, this is the body I'm going to have, whatever. I don't care enough, but still not feeling like my body was desirable. It wasn't until after college and I found anti-dieting movements and fat positivity movements that I was like, my body is fucking great. It's beautiful. I don't have to be thin that I really started finding my, my body, like loving my body. And, and it was kind of a door opening because I realized that even people with thin bodies hate their bodies. Well, what the fuck? Like, I just want to love my body. <laughs> it's so much easier. I think finding, connecting to pleasure was so crucial for me loving my body. And so I'm curious, who taught you to feel good in your body? How did you learn to feel good in your body? Is it okay if we get a tiny bit explicit on your podcast? Oh my God. As explicit as you need to be. I 
figured. I do have to go back to thinking about like my days on Tumblr and just seeing other women who clearly enjoyed being in their own bodies. I remember, I want to say I was a freshman in college and I just took myself on a trip to go to a sex toy store and I bought a few things. And I remember just going back to my dorm and feeling like very nervous and wondering like if anyone else was going to like see my bag that I got and all that kind of stuff. And then I ended up just having a great time with myself. And the fact that I was fat had nothing to do with it. Yeah. Um, But I think that's when I started to, I started having this kind of approach to my body that was like, even though I'm fat, I can experience pleasure. But now I'm kind of moving in this direction where I'm like, because I'm fat, I I experience pleasure in a particular way. Mm. How I feel like I experience love and sex in a particular way because I'm queer. I really want to embrace my fat instead of saying, even though I'm fat, I can have a good time. Mm. So it's something that I'm still working on, but. What does that shift look like for you? I think part of it came from being with partners who celebrated my body and my fatness having partners who, I mean, I've had, I've been with people who were ashamed that they were attracted to fat women. I've been with people who definitely had a fetish for fat women. Both of those things are terrible to experience, right? But then when I found partners who just are authentically attracted to my fat body, that helped me start shifting towards this idea that like, I, it's not despite the fact that I'm fat, that I'm attractive. It's part of what makes me me and part of what makes me desirable and I you know I wish I could say that that journey was more about me loving myself and teaching myself but it it really did come from other people loving me Mm -hmm. I'm learning from that so I'm really grateful to all those people who kind of interacted with me and my body in that really loving and intentional way because it taught me a lot and really impacted how I view myself and how I see myself but it is something that I think is really honestly really radical and it surprises a lot of people who I share that with because the basic of it is that you're not supposed to be desirable if you're fat you're not supposed to receive love if you're fat I'm receiving love and I'm desirable because I'm fat I feel that's it doesn't feel like a big deal on a day-to-day basis for me but it kind of it kind of is like it kind of a big deal so it totally fucking is yes yes I love that (laughs) that definitely resonates with me and one of my one of my favorite quotes that I've been practicing saying to myself is, and it's helping me get rid of the idea that we have to love ourselves first. Mm-hmm. It's this, oh, gosh, I can't remember the guy's name, but he, he does a lot of research on attachment theory. And mm-hmm. he talks about how we learn to love ourselves from others and how we don't come out of the womb learning to love. And mm-hmm. as babies, even we learn to love. And so very similarly, that's how I learned to love my body is through others. For me, shame was very much attached to masturbation. And so while I did, I did masturbate and I loved masturbating and it was like my first window into pleasure with my body, I felt too much shame around it to have that be the window into self-love. I love that it was, I love that you got to experience that. But for me, just because I grew up religious, Mm -hmm. masturbating was something I kept a secret. And Mm -hmm. it's something I felt a lot of shame around until after college, actually. But it was after college that I first started engaging in sexual activity. And it was through that process that I found body love because Mm -hmm. Similarly, I had sexual partners who enjoyed my body and Mm -hmm. 
and it was definitely that mindset at first of, oh, well, despite my, my body, you're enjoying having sex with me. But then finding partners who enjoyed all my curves and my chubbiness and my stomach and my thighs and having, having partners grab my legs and like, be like, oh, like, these are so great. is like, what? <laughs> yeah. What do you mean? Like, don't touch them. And so it was through that process that I was like, yeah, I'm fucking hot. <laughs> like, and I learned to appreciate my body and I learned that I was desirable. And now I, I kind of package it as I know I'm hot. I know because society is shit that not everyone else can see that, but that's their problem, right? Like I'm fucking cute. And so I love that. It was definitely through other people appreciating my body that I was able mm-hmm. to find appreciation for my body. And like you said, that's a it's a daily process, right? It's a daily, it's a daily practice for sure. Yeah. I have to say I love what you shared about I guess how having other people be intimate with areas of you that like were fat or that maybe are deemed to be like not conventionally attractive, how powerful that is. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna follow Virgie Tovar on Instagram and she's just like an amazing person for, mm-hmm. when it comes to fat positivity and body positivity. And a couple of weeks ago, she had this post about her partner. And it was so sweet because she was talking about how, I think he uses he pronouns, how he like touches like her chin and her chubby arms and like things that she was, you know, supposed to be self-conscious of. And that that post alone made me think I really want to start to be more in touch with those areas of my body that do make me a little bit more uncomfortable still. The areas that I still am like, mm, if I'm going to go to work, maybe I need to hide my arms. Maybe I can't wear. Yeah. And I, I think my partner right now will touch my neck and the backs of my thighs. And I just love it because those are areas that are the hardest for me to love. And it's just so empowering and so powerful to have someone else love up on those, those parts of me. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, definitely. Virgie Tovar is who introduced me to the fat positivity movement. Mm-hmm. I first listened to her on a podcast and then I was like, oh my God, I need more. And I remember her post. This was a while back. This is like, was the beginning of my fat acceptance journey, fat love journey. But she talked about the outline of your stomach and wanting to hide that in clothes. And I know for me, that's also been something of wearing clothes that hide my stomach and how it hangs a certain way. Why do I want people to not see that I have a stomach like through my clothes? What is that about? And obviously it's about self-loathing and the messages we receive about our fat bodies and how we should look in clothes. But that really challenged me to think more about like now I'm less, I feel less of a way about my gut in pants or like in a shirt and I've fallen in love with crop tops and I just like show my gut (laughs) and it's my favorite thing because I just walk around with my crop top and my gut and people are looking at me and I'm like I'm cute what you talking about (laughs) like you always look so fucking adorable like you truly do and I think something else I was reflecting on what you said earlier is I I also know I'm hot and when I, when it comes down to it, that's actually the only opinion I care about anymore is whether or not I think I'm hot. Mm. And then obviously with partners, I want there to be that mutual attraction there. Right. But at the end right. of the day, it really only matters that I think I'm hot and like 
fuck what anyone else thinks. I need to think a little bit more about how I got to that point, but I, I have such little regard now for what other people think about my body and it used to occupy so much of my mental space. Like, mm-hmm. just because we all know people think really shitty things about fat people and believe really shitty things about fat people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so much of my brain space used to be occupied, like, knowing what those things were because I had internalized them. Mm-hmm. But now I, like, I just don't care. And it feels so good. I think I've just accepted, like, people think shitty things about me. I can't change that. And I don't want to feel like shit because of it, right? Like I want to be able to have some distance from it. For me, one of the biggest, one of the biggest things that helped me with that shift was who I surrounded myself by Mm -hmm. because it wasn't necessarily people pointing and laughing. And that's also part of my privilege. There's still size privilege and I'm an acceptable quote unquote fat, right? So like you said, people say really shitty things about fat people, but part of my privilege is I don't worry about fitting in chairs or in seats. And that's not something I necessarily have to worry about because of my size. And so, and I know it's things other, other people and, and larger bodies have to worry about, which fuck, fuck like structures and small ass chairs. But so much of that changed with the people I've surrounding myself by in high school and even after high school or in, hmm, not only in in college, but like in some of my jobs of people are always on a diet. Like everyone around me was always on a diet and Mm -hmm. everyone around me was always talking about their body. And so they're, they weren't necessarily talking badly about my body, but they were talking badly about their body. And when someone who occupies a smaller body than you is talking badly about their body and how fat they are and how much they hate themselves because they're fat, it's like, well, what do you think about me then? (laughs) Like, I'm like 10 times bigger than you. And so, and now my friends, all of my friends are super body positive and I have a few fat friends. I have a few, few thin friends, but they, they don't like put value on food or exercise, right? Like good food, this is bad food, or I feel bad about eating this, or I feel bad about eating that, or like, I have to work out because I ate this thing. Right. And like those messages are so toxic and being around them is so triggering for me and makes me triggers me into self-loathing. And so I noticed my two friends in college, they just really love themselves and they love their bodies and they love to eat and being around such a positive people who had such a positive relationship with food in their bodies really helped me gain a positive relationship with my own body. For sure. Yeah. I relate to that a lot. I think it does matter who you surround yourself with and you still, I don't know, you, the amount of times I wish I could count how many times people have talked about their own bodies around me in a negative way, because you're so right that thin people and like smaller fats will criticize themselves, talk about how fat they are, how ugly they are, how disgusting they are. And I'm like, what? I'm also, I'm right here. And we all know I'm bigger than you, mm-hmm. right? Like, that's why I like actually using the word fat. We haven't mm-hmm. even talked about that yet, but I don't think fat yeah. is a bad word. And it's something that I've kind of reclaimed. And I just like to be honest about it. I am fat and we all know it. We can all see it. Like, mm-hmm. why not use that word? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely, yes, we should talk about that because I think, Yes, I use fat now too. And I didn't used to, right? Mm-hmm. And it was a bad word, similar to like being black. People didn't want to say that I was black. And it's the same thing. You can see that I'm not fucking white. 
And I remember, I remember people being like, oh, you're not fat. And I'm like, well, no, like, no, I am. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Beautiful. Right. Or one of the things that was my biggest pet peeve is when friends who were smaller than me, obviously smaller than me, would try to pretend like their clothes might fit me. I don't know if you've had that happen to you. <laughs> Why are we pretending I'm not fucking fat? Like my body's here, it exists, and it's definitely larger than yours. Like, right. Like, how do they just, I don't understand how folks just (laughs) completely ignore or pretend to ignore, like what's so obvious. I almost said the elephant in the room, but that sounds really fat phobic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. It used to make me so mad because, and like you said, I mean, it's ignoring, right? It's denying. If we don't say it, if we pretend it doesn't happen, you're not fat. Well, no, actually I am. But being fat is a bad thing. It's like being fat is the worst thing. (laughs) Research has shown Mm -hmm. that girls say they'd rather lose a fucking arm than be fat, which is fucking terrible. Yeah. So for me, I started using the word fat after I met Virgie Tovar and again, it was like, well, no, fat's not a bad word. It just, it's, it's a descriptor. I'm fat. I'm short. I'm black. These are just things that are true about me. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did you start using it? Very similarly. I think I started again, going back to Tumblr. I saw people start to just reclaim that word on social media. And that was pretty impactful for me. And I, I follow on Instagram also, her name is Your Fat Friend. That's one of the best accounts I follow. I'm obsessed with her. And she just published a book actually, which I can't wait to get my hands on and read. But she does these polls all the time and asks like about other words for fat. Like basically they're euphemisms like larger bodied, plus size, having fat, like these ways that people avoid saying fat. And it's so interesting because when she gets back those poll responses and posts them on Instagram, it shows that most of the fat people who follow her are just like, yeah, I just prefer the word fat. And then thin people are like running around, trying not to say it, even though they're looking at us and like, we're obviously fat. Have you had an experience where, so where you call yourself fat, but then a thin person says the word fat and it takes you aback? Has that happened to you before? Oh. Because it's happened to me. Not necessarily <laughs> that I can recall, but yeah. I think, because I, I think the intentionality behind it matters a lot mm-hmm. because uh, when we want folks who are outside of a marginalized community to start using the language we want them to, that obviously matters a lot. And I think those folks have to do it with good intentions, right? Because I can tell if a thin person says fat, I can, you can tell if they still have those internalized feelings about it or not. Mm-hmm. Or they're really just honoring what we prefer to hear. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Oh yeah, definitely. Now I'm trying to think about it. It's interesting because it's become one of those things that people don't repeat back or acknowledge. And it's probably around not knowing if they can use the same language, but they won't acknowledge it or they won't, they won't address it. You can see the look in the eye of shock or dismay or like, hmm, but it actually reminds me of a time, I believe I was a sophomore in college and I was definitely still had a lot of internalized fat phobia and I was interviewing one of my old supervisors who was fat, who is fat, 
and she was telling this is so funny I was like little 19 year old baby Sarah she was naming I think we were talking about why students feel comfortable talking to her or something and she said oh students feel comfortable talking to me because I'm a fat woman and like da 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 I distinctly remember clarifying and repeating back to her but I didn't say the word fat and I remember I remember I still remember how uncomfortable I felt and I was like should I say it should I not say it I remember and it was funny because I repeated it back to her and then she reiterated and because I'm fat <laughs> and I was like okay 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 and I remember still being oh I can't call you fat like ugh. and now looking back obviously that was my own fat phobia and uncertainty of whether or not I could call her that because for me it was still a bad word right yeah oh so interesting I will say even though I feel like I've really reclaimed the word fat I don't think it's a bad word there are still some settings where I don't say that I'm fat because I'm not quite comfortable yet or I need to be able to feel out the space a little bit more before I can get comfortable. So as an example with new friends, I might say the word plus size. Definitely in the office, if anything comes up around size, I'll usually refer to myself as plus size just because it feels I'd like to get to a place where I just say fat in all settings. But I think especially for me in the office, it still feels a little bit taboo. And I think that's where we can see where I still have that internalized fat phobia. I can see exactly where fat phobia exists on campus, where we work. And honestly, I'm just not ready yet to expend that effort. Mm -hmm. Like to put the word fat out into that universe. I don't want that burden right now. Mm -hmm. Um, So eventually I'd like to be able to be more open and even more fearless about just saying, yeah, I'm fat, but it does, it takes work depending on how fat phobic of a setting you're in right oh for sure well and that's it's actually something I was thinking about because being fat as an identity isn't something I regularly name or claim either I mean I definitely post body positive things on my social media and like call myself fat on social media but it's similar to my queer identity where it's not something It's not something I name. I normally just name that I'm black. And I think part of that is because being fat and being queer is so much, it's so much a part of the way I move and interact with the world. If you can't fucking see that I'm queer and black or queer and fat, then like, what are you, (laughs) like, you can't see me. It doesn't feel as pertinent. And I think part of this is how we move through our different identity developments, right? There's a different stages of like, denial and pride and like shouting it from the rooftops right and so I think for my fatness and also with my queerness is it's it's just such a part of how I interact with the world that I kind of I forget that it's radical that like I love my body I forget that like kind of what you said it's a daily practice I forget that moving through the world in the way that I do is like different than how other fat people move through the world or like people who are experiencing internalized fat phobia or people who are who are fat phobic. I don't know if that makes sense, but. No, it does make sense. And I think it kind of um, speaks to that idea of which of our identities are visible and which are hidden to people. And mm-hmm. yeah, everyone can see that I'm fat. I wish everyone could see that I'm queer, but I don't think everyone can. Yeah. <laughs> like you like dresses, you can't be gay. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> back there. <laughs> and I think 
I mean, another identity that impacts me probably the greatest is that I am disabled and neurodivergent. And I think I conceal that, especially professionally. Yeah, there's just something about fatness as an identity though, where it's like at the end of the day, no matter how much internalized fat phobia I have or how much I try to hide it, everyone can still see that I'm fat. Like right. it's right. And so I think just the visibleness of it is what kind of forced me to eventually confront it and try to undo all the internalized fat phobia that, that I had. Mm-hmm. I had a colleague who said to me, she thought it was a compliment where she was like, you always look so cute and you're so brave to wear the outfits that you do. And I was like, brave? Like, am I? This is just a dress. And she was like, well, just started like stumbling on her words. And she was like, I just feel like a lot of plus size women like don't have the confidence that you do or don't do this or don't do that. So then she's like pitting me against other fat women, which I also didn't appreciate. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ended up saying to her, yeah, I'm, I am fat and... I love myself still, right? Because <laughs> I've had to get that point across to her because she would make little comments like that all the time. And then that one was the big one where she really stumbled a lot that I just, I felt like the only way to get her to stop saying that kind of shit to me and understand where I'm coming from was to actually say to her, yeah, I'm fat. Like to actually mm-hmm. name the fact that was like in the room with both of us. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it made her uncomfortable, but I do think she learned from it and our, our interactions were different after that. Mm-hmm. So, I can't remember if I've shared this with you before. I learned about it on your fat friend on Instagram. I'll have to find the, shoot, I wish I knew. I'll have to find the name of the original person who created this scale. But it's basically a way to name different ranges of fatness. Mm. And some categories go like small fat, mid fat, super fat, infinite fat. And so I think... I, when I learned about that, it was very helpful for me to think about how size privilege operates or doesn't operate at each of those levels very differently. Mm-hmm. So it leaves room, like for what you talked about earlier, you acknowledged, I don't worry about chairs, but I still deal with people staring at me and giving me weird looks. Right. Whereas me, for example, I really do have to worry about seating and things like that, even especially because I'm tall, like I'm just mm-hmm. big all around. And I had an experience recently where my partner and I were going to go have a social distance hangout with a couple that my partner is friends with. And I had so much anxiety leading up to that whole time because I was like, we're going to be outside. We're going to be at this other couple's house. We're going to be like on their patio and their furniture. And I was like, I don't know what their patio furniture looks like. I don't know if I'll be able to fit in it. Like what's going to happen if I don't. And I had so much worry about it. And I neglected to bring it up to my partner until the very last minute. I wish I would have said something sooner. But what we ended up doing was we just brought a blanket to sit on just in case. And we got to their house and their friends were pulling up the chairs for us. My partner said, oh, we're just going to sit on this blanket on the ground. And then the friends were like, oh, that's totally cool. And the way it went down was so... So just chill and relaxed, and especially the way my partner handled it made me feel very loved because they acknowledged that there could be an issue of access for me, and they just calmly came up with a way to make sure I could access the space. That was honestly perfect, and I the reason I hesitated to bring it up and I was so nervous about it was that I haven't really experienced that 
And it's because what we've been talking about, how people are afraid to acknowledge fatness, people are also afraid to try to make you accommodations that you might need because you're fat. They don't want to embarrass you or offend you by trying to do that. When at the end of the day, if someone would offer to say like, oh, Madison, we're going out to eat. Let's make sure to get a table instead of a booth. If someone would just do that proactively for me, I love that when it happens. Certainly hasn't happened lately because of the pandemic, but I think as my group of friends has started to learn more about fat positivity, I've seen little things like that happen more often where people are considering my access and my comfort in a space. Yeah, I just really appreciate it. And I think it's such a way of demonstrating love and care for me. It makes me feel really good. I think I felt it was overwhelming when it started to happen because I felt guilty and like I was a burden and like I shouldn't be accepting that. And I was like, no, this is just people showing me that they love me and my fat body. So, yeah, I love I love that. Thank you for sharing that. I think I think that's so important and showing that you deserve to have access and you deserve to have accommodations and and you deserve the same things because of right like your fatness, not not even though or anything like that. And I appreciate I appreciate you sharing that story because. Yes, there, there's, like, I, I don't know the, I'm not familiar with the graph or anything, but I'm probably, like, a small fat, and so just, like, again, thinking about, like, how that, how I interact the world differently than you and other folks who are mid or, I don't remember all the names, mid or thin or fat, right, and how, again, privilege is invisible to those who, who, who have it, and I know for me, it wasn't until, I started working with folks with disabilities and seeing, seeing how access to chairs and things like that. I didn't, until I started thinking about that kind of stuff. And even my friendship with you has made me think about things differently. And so I love to hear how friends are showing up for you and thinking about your comfortability. And that's so important. Something that I've been reflecting on during the pandemic and staying at home so much is I... I mean, I'm just in my own home, so it's accessible to me. But I I don't think I realized before this shift happened how often on a day-to-day basis I was worried about accessing different spaces. On campus, my own office is accessible to me. There are different places that I visit a lot for meetings and stuff that are accessible to me. But I often also have to go to Mm -hmm. new places. And it's, it's a huge workplace at the end of the day. Like There are so many different offices, so many different individual offices. And if I go to someone, some professor's office for a meeting, I never know what it's going to look like inside. They could have like the most horrifying, oppressive chair ever. And it's like, what am I going to do about that? And I, mm-hmm. I don't think I realized until I had to stop going places, how like worrisome it is for me to actually go places as a fat woman. Mm-hmm. I definitely knew that it was a concern that I had, but when it suddenly just stopped and I just always know now that wherever I go, I'll be fine. I think I just was really kind of taking that level of anxiety I had around it for granted. Thank you for sharing that. I experiencing something similar of like such relief of not having to go into the office or go in or walk around campus mm-hmm. as a person with brown skin, just the daily, <laughs> the microaggressions and the worry of how someone's going to react or what they're going to say. It's interesting how not having that, you're like, oh, wow, I didn't realize how much 
that was affecting my well-being until I didn't have to deal with it anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and I know we have definitely some other friends too who have shared around a range of different identities. The pandemic has been so challenging and so shitty, but not having to physically go into work, whether it's because I'm fat, because I'm black, because I'm queer, whatever the situation is, people are like, thriving at home, as right. as people, which I'm glad we're getting a little bit of a break, but how concerning is that, that right. our workplaces and other spaces were making us feel so oppressed to the extent that we didn't even realize how oppressed we're feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. This society, this, this, our workplaces, our, our schooling, our education, our family, they make it hard. They make it hard for us to love ourselves. And love they the really do. Us. All of those structures are not, I don't think any of them are really designed for love. And I think they're explicitly, intentionally not designed for love for marginalized people. So again, that's why Hooks' definition of love resonates so strongly with me because she's really like, you have to try at it and you have to grow it, grow it kind of against, against the odds really. Right. Yeah. The structures definitely aren't, that's beautiful. Aren't designed for us to love. One of the things that, again, I've learned from, I learned from thinner people who, who have good relationships with their body is movement and how beautiful and empowering and pleasurable moving your body is. I've always had a really negative relationship with exercise and movement because for me, it was always tied to weight loss. I was supposed to move my body and exercise because to lose weight because I needed to occupy a smaller body. I needed to be thin. And I rejected that. Any kind of exercise or movement or walking, even if it was something that felt good for me, it, it like going to the gym, it would immediately become tied to weight loss just because of my own experiences with dieting and the stories I've been told about how I'm supposed to move my body. And so it's been cool through some different friends and honestly time with the pandemic that I found that I actually enjoy moving my body and it's really pleasurable to move it just for fun like just because I want to just because it feels good that's the most radical fuck you to the structures that we can do because Mm -hmm. the system doesn't want us to figure out that we can love ourselves (laughs) we can love ourselves Mm -hmm. and we can move through it differently and And now I go on walks because I fucking want to, and it feels good to go on a walk. And Mm -hmm. I've gotten really into yoga and I can be fat and do yoga. And it's so cool because there's a whole Instagram of fat yoga and it's these fat people and big fat bodies doing yoga. And it's so fun. And I also found this, this exercise, not exercise. I hate calling it exercise now because it feels like such a has such a negative connotation for me, right? but it's a positive body movement subscription and they have body positive workout videos and it's called join J O Y N joy in. And it's cool because all the people who lead the videos are fat and there's people of color and they there's queer folks and they use their pronouns 
and there's dance and yoga and stretching and cardio. And it's so, it's been so fun for me because again, the people, the people are fat and we're moving for fun. We're moving because it feels good. And as you go through the video, they give you a ton of accommodations, like using blocks or doing it this way or doing like a half of this. And it's the purpose of this is for you to feel good in your body and for you to move in a way that feels good for you. And that's it. There's no, there's no other purpose. And so that's been so fun for me. And it's been such a fun way of being like, yeah, I'm fucking fat and I still love to move my body and I can be fat and do both. Right. Like, yeah. But I wasn't taught that in gym class. I wasn't taught that in high school. Yeah. I, oh, I love that you have it's like growing and new and such a positive relationship with movement. I think that's really exciting. And I think what you shared basically about movement becoming all about exercising and weight loss, I think that resonates with so many fat people. And it can be really discouraging. I, and I think a big, a big step for me was kind of making sure that movement isn't just about exercise in a similar way where making sure food isn't just about dieting, mm-hmm. where you could do these things, move and eat intuitively in a way that's healthy for you, right? Health at every size, not, there's not one definition of health or one way to be healthy. Yeah. But those are things I'm um, still working on every day. And I, I think I want to have, you know, even better relationships than I do right now with, with food and with movement. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's a work. It's a daily work, work mm-hmm. process of, of falling in love and moving because you want to and eating because you want to and doing that, listening, listening to your body intuitively. And it is, it's like a teaching. You have to teach yourself how to do it. I had to intentionally find people on Instagram to follow and I had to read books to learn about health at every size, to dispel a lot of those ideas that like I'm fat, so I'm unhealthy. And it actually wasn't until I intentionally looked for a non-fat phobic doctor when I was in Boise. And it was the first time that any medical professional had ever said anything like this to me. She was like, your weight is not important. She was like, your cardiovascular health is important. And so it is important to, to move regularly. I would try walking about 30 minutes a day if you can. And that's just good for your heart and your cholesterol. And I was like, okay, okay, cool. Moving, that makes sense. Walking 30 minutes every day is challenging, but it was permission to focus on moving in a way that felt yeah. good versus like worrying about how much I weighed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can we, can we just talk about for a second, based on that, how horrifying medical fat phobia is? Oh my God. I'm so happy for you and other folks who are able to find doctors who aren't fat phobic, but the stories I hear, not just my own, but from other fat friends, just reading stories on the internet, going to the doctor can be so traumatizing for people. And like, yeah, you'll be denied care that they need because doctors will write off any ailment. as like, if you lose weight, you'll be fine. Mm -hmm. It's like you, people deserve care at the size they're at. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is terrifying. And I've, I've now discovered I've had some misdiagnoses because it was because I was fat. Mm-hmm. But I also have 
some fat friends and one of my friends broke her ankle and she went to the doctor and she was basically told that she needs to lose weight and they couldn't even x-ray her or anything but her ankle was fucking broken and I laugh as a coping mechanism she she has had a horrendous time getting getting healthcare because like you said like everything is attributed to her being fat and that's like that's violence yes right like withholding care yes like a specialized group of folks the only folks who can provide that assistance to us withholding that care yes is a violent act mm-hmm mm-hmm Ugh. it's so violent and it makes people not want to go to the doctor when oh, they yeah. are sick when they do need care when they need need help they deserve care I'm reading this book called Anti-Diet and being fat doesn't actually cause any health problems. Like mm-hmm. there's correlations to different things, but this book by Christy Harrison, she talks about it's actually weight stigma that causes health con- health problems more than it is actually being fat, which mm-hmm. she explains it way better than I can. But um just reading her book, I was like, oh my God, this makes so much sense. And just, just talking about how weight stigma causes health concerns. The health at every size movement really helped me think differently about health and wellness and what it means to be healthy. But so often we think you're thin, you're healthy, you're fat, you're unhealthy. Whereas you can be strong and fat and you can be healthy and fat. And it's not like science has, quote unquote, science has been twisted to support capitalism essentially mm-hmm. I remember a few years ago there were conversations well they're still happening but I was mostly aware of them a few years ago conversations and like the health at every size and kind of body positivity movements around like fat folks who are strong and healthy being kind of valued above those who weren't and so I remember I felt ugh, how do I explain this I read a few posts that were like, it's fine to be fat and unhealthy. And that was actually very empowering for me to see because I think my introduction to the body positivity movement made me feel like I can love myself if I'm doing these few things. If it's contingent upon me trying to still be healthy or still trying to be thin, but fuck that. Like (laughs) I'm gonna love myself because I exist as I am. Right. Yes. Yes. Thank you for saying that. Because it's like, you, you can be fat, like you get to just exist and you deserve care and you deserve love and you deserve all of the things. Mm-hmm. Even with that being said, though, one of my favorite activities is whenever I get my blood pressure taken, the nurse is just being shocked that it's good. Yeah. I still take a lot of pleasure and being like oh well that's just about perfect or like is the machine broken and I'm like no I'm just fine I'm just healthy my like, blood pressure is just good so yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for this conversation is there anything yeah. else you want to add oh I'm sure as soon as we're done I'll be like I have 17 things to add right I know <laughs> like, right now I don't feel like I do I mean I really am glad that we focused on love in the context of fatness and 
fat phobia. Yeah, because sometimes conversations around fat positivity can be kind of like flat or very cold, where it's just like, oh, you have to love yourself. And no one really talks about what love means. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I just, I don't know, I appreciate the opportunity to revisit love as like a really intentional act. Mm-hmm. At the beginning, you talked about your journey of self-love and how that's how that changed with your body. And that's so important to name of loving yourself and loving your body and loving the people in your life is, is an intentional act. And some days are better than others, right? As a general practice, I would say I love my body, but it's still hard for me to go clothes shopping, right? Like it's still Mm -hmm. frustrating when I can't find clothes that I feel like fit, feel good, fit good. Well, this would be easier if I was smaller. There's always still those things that make it hard, Mm -hmm. And sometimes you wake up and you just don't feel good (laughs) about yourself. Like, hello, depression, (laughs) right? Right. (laughs) But it's something that I have the pleasure and fortune of doing every day. Mm. And I have some great fucking people in my life who, whenever I'm feeling any kind of way, I get to, I can text my friends. I can text you. The other day I texted a couple, I texted two of my friends because I was just feeling triggered about weight loss and they really talked me through it and were really affirming and helped me remember why I don't need or want to lose weight. Having those support people in your life of like, no, you exist in the world and you're lovable and beautiful because of that. And just, yeah, yeah. I, I want to end with one last, one last question. So stay patient, show up, you know, it's all about love and staying patient with yourself on this, on this beautiful journey. And so there's, you, you have two options. How do you show up for yourself or what has someone taught you about loving yourself by how they love you? My partner, Callie has taught me a lot about loving myself because of the way they love me very unconditionally and just fully. I think we haven't been together for incredibly long, but we're already at that place where we're very vulnerable with each other, where Callie fully sees me at the times when I am feeling very down and feeling less connected with loving myself. And in the past, those were the moments I tried to hide from friends and from partners, but I've been not doing that in this relationship. And so I think just receiving that unconditional love from someone, even when I am not loving myself has just taught me a lot and really kind of inspired me to want to try harder in therapy and get more connected with loving myself because it just, I don't know, it feels really good to be loved unconditionally. And I'd like to offer that same favor to myself. I love that. Thank you for sharing. The people in our lives are the best role models. For me, that's been one of the, what my friends have taught me is I want to love myself as much as my friends love me. I want to care about me as much as my friends care about me. And for me, what someone has taught me, I want to share. I had a really good conversation with my friend Christina this morning. I love her a lot. And I think she's going to be on our episode next week. But one of the biggest things that she has taught me is, is to validate myself wherever I'm at. And it's been, it's been interesting because I think with this quarantine, like I've, I've been forced to trust my friends more than ever because Mm -hmm. my anxiety and depression has been really bad, which means that I have a lot of spiraling thoughts 
that are just like full of fear. And Christina has been a really safe person for me to just talk about my most obscene and wildest fears, but they're super valid and real for me at the time. They feel so big and so, so present. And this morning I was beating myself up about one of my thought patterns. And she was like, Sarah, it's okay for you to wonder about those things. It's okay for you to wonder about those things. And I was like, yeah, yeah, it is. Sometimes I have really big emotions and it's hard for me to think or act or process through them. And so she's been, she's teaching me that I can have my big feelings and I can validate them. That's been really cool. I love that. Thank you for having me. And earlier you said something about how I helped inspire you to love your body. And I just want before this ends, I have to say like you do the same for me. And I think every, just everything about the way that you show up, I appreciate that you're always so honest and open and explicit with people about like the journey that you're on. Cause I think a lot of people consider that to be kind of a private part of life. Mm. I don't think you do which is why I'm so glad you're going to be talking about it in this podcast. So. Oh, thank you. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. Thank you. And yes, back at you. I just think, I don't know. I feel like we were vulnerable from day one. Yeah. (laughs) And (laughs) I just appreciate how in tune you are with your emotions and that you go to that vulnerable place with me and Yes, I appreciate how you exist in the world just beautifully. Thank you, Sarah. (laughs) I love you a lot. I'm so happy that you were on this podcast and that everyone could hear the beautiful words of Madison Hansen. (laughs) Thank you all for listening. Stay patient. Show up.